And so we're walking through a sermon series that we've been doing called Beginnings, where we look at the early church in Scripture, and we talk about how God's work back then informs how he's at work today in his church, how it might help us to see how he's at work today in his church, and maybe how we should live as a church, right, by looking at this early church we're three messages in now. We started by looking at Matthew 28 and Jesus's commission for his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And then last week, we looked at his parting words to his disciples in Acts 2, as he told them to wait, to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. And we had some really good conversation around what it looks like to wait on the Lord, to, to trust him to pursue his plans over our own. And you all had great things to share about that last time. And now the disciples are told to wait in Jerusalem, and they're told that they're going to be witnesses, folks who share about Jesus all over the known world. But they need to wait for the power, right? They need to wait for the power. They need to wait for the Spirit of God. And today we're in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at the moment when that wait comes to a glorious end. Today we're going to talk about the spirit-empowered church, something new happening. And I can think of no better quote to open this subject than what John Stott, a theologian, uh, writes uh, at the beginning of his commentary for this chapter. He writes this, Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life-giver. No understanding without the spirit of truth. No fellowship without the unity of the spirit. No Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit. And no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. So let's pick up where we left off last week. At this point in Acts 2, it's been 10 days since Jesus ascended to heaven and told his apostles to wait. In the meantime, the 11 apostles, they've chosen a replacement for Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, and they've been spending their time praying with about 120 men and women who are also disciples of Jesus. They've been praying and they've been waiting. And let's look at Acts 2.1 again. It says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. Now it'd be so easy to just keep reading here, right? But, but can we just stop and picture this for a second? That's why I asked the kids to, to make the sound. Jesus tells them, that they'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Ten days later, they're all together, and a rushing wind from heaven fills this house. Not just a rushing wind, but a violent rushing wind. I don't miss the drama of what's happening as the Spirit shows up, the weight of that moment. Verse 3, they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All, not just the apostles, everyone in that room. Right? Men, women. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now here's the second and third. These are the 
second and third major miraculous signs that we see when the Spirit comes. Tongues like flames of fire rested on each of them, and then they all start to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And in this particular passage especially, when you hear the word tongues here, that's just the word for languages. The Greek word here is glossa. It's used in the, uh, the original language that the Bible was written, and it just means language or it means your physical tongue. And we'll see what this means as the passage goes on, but the Spirit comes to them in power, just like Jesus said. Verse 5, Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And now Pentecost was a harvest festival in Israel, and it came between Passover and the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, which coincidentally begins this evening. Uh, and so there were lots of people around, and uh, they hear this sound of people shouting in their own languages, right? Not just Aramaic, which is what the Jews in Israel mostly spoke. No, they're speaking in their own languages. This is a miracle of the Spirit of God. These are real languages that they're speaking in that people are understanding. Verse 7, they were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And that just means, aren't they all from Galilee, this place where Jesus was from, this more uneducated place, a place where you probably wouldn't have learned multiple languages, right? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? And Luke gives us a broad list of all the nations present. I read them to you. You heard that list go on and on. If you've got your Bible open, those are verses 8 through 11. And then at the end of verse 11, they're quoted as saying, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This day when the nations are in God's holy city, the Spirit is speaking through these disciples like a megaphone to God's people. Right? Remember, these are Jewish people who are gathered. God has a message for them, and there's no mistaking what it is as the message has been made available in every single language there. These disciples are declaring the magnificent works of God, the Scripture says. Verse 13 says, but some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. When God's doing something new, that's often how people see it. The, the very nature of its newness is confusing. But whatever the opinion, there's a spectacle happening. And scholars um, believe that this spectacle, it moved from the house where the 120 were staying into the temple courts since they're saying that's pretty much where you would find such a crowd that they're, that they're experiencing right now. This is the beginning of a pattern of what we see often in Acts. There's a spectacle, usually miraculous in nature. Sometimes it's just a really big religious argument that gets a lot of attention. And then that spectacle is followed by an explanation of the gospel. Verse 12 says, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. 
For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. Right? Peter's going to clarify what's going on. He's going to explain what these people are witnessing on this day. He says, verse 6, On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And when he goes on, and then he goes on in detail in this old prophecy, right? Yes, God is doing something new, but it's actually the full fulfillment of something very old. And then uh, he goes on and he says, and it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Verse 21, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's pretty wild stuff, right? And, and we don't have time to pick it apart line by line today, but Joel was a prophet, and you can read all God said through him in the book of Joel. That's in the Old Testament. But this is Peter's explanation of what folks in Jerusalem are seeing. Right? Let's even just look at the first line, and it will be in the last days. Right? As a pastor, every once in a while I get asked, do you think we're in the last days? Do you think we're in the end times? And my answer is always yes. And where folks usually are surprised is when I say, and we've been in the last days for almost 2,000 years. Right? Peter proclaims that this day of Pentecost, this birth of the church, this inauguration of the Holy Spirit's ministry on earth is the inauguration of the last days. At the same time, one chapter ago, Jesus tells his disciples, it's not for you to know dates and seasons that the Father has fixed in advance. So is it the last days, right? Are we in the last days? Yes. Can we predict the last day? No. no. This is what Peter and Joel say these days will look like. When someone tries to tell you they know the last day, don't ever believe them. That's the, one of the sure signs of a false teacher because the Bible says we will not know the last day. Right? That's for the Father to know. Right? God will pour out his spirit, Peter says. On who? On all kinds of people. On all people. And he goes on to show that what he means by that is that there's no distinction. Male, female, slave, free, right? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. The truth of God will be declared by the masses. To quote John Stott again, in this sense, all God's people are now prophets, just as they are also priests and kings. Because we know him, we must make him known, Amen. right? Because we know him, we must make him known. That's the thrust of what Peter's saying here. This is a declaration that it's not just the apostles or the 120-ish people with them who receive the Spirit. God will pour the Spirit out. The Spirit comes out like a flood. Have you ever seen footage of a flood? 
right? We've seen that even recently in a tragic sense uh, with the hurricanes that are coming through, right? But, but remember, Jesus told them in the last chapter that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They would be immersed. Here is what he's talking about. God is pouring out his spirit like a flood. And verses 19 through 20, the things about the moon being turned to blood and, and all those supernatural, amazing things, uh, he describes that they're going to take place. He uses this apocalyptic imagery, right? This imagery that's really, it's very symbolic, but it's very future-oriented. Uh, another commentator says, we should simply see these verses as references to the eschatological events before the end. Eschatological is just a long, fancy word for end-time events, right? Like the very end, right? The return of Jesus kind of thing. Um, we should see these as events that happen before the end of the end, right? And, and thus we're being told that the coming of the Spirit is that kind of event. Indeed, inauguration of those end times with more events to follow. So, so these things are, have been inaugurated and more things will follow. It's not fully completed, right? We have, obviously, we still have the sun today, right? We know that. This is a reasonable take, I think. And Peter concludes this first section of his sermon in verse 21, finishing in the words of Joel, then everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Along with the message of the last days comes a message of urgency. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter just, he doesn't just want to explain what's happening in this sermon of his to the public. He wants to call this crowd to repentance. And we've talked about what the word repentance is in other sermons, but it's worth repeating. Repentance is a heart change that leads to a mind change that leads to a life change. A heart change, mind change, life change. And without the Holy Spirit's power to change a heart, it is impossible. We need the Holy Spirit. Well, what does it mean to be saved? Right? He clarifies this, actually, if we read further on in verse 38. To be saved is to receive forgiveness of sins and receive the Holy Spirit. That's how he describes it in this passage. This is the invitation that he's giving to this crowd. Forgiveness of sin means reconciliation with God, means being made right with God. That's what Jesus died for. See, later on in this chapter, we see Peter actually address this crowd as those who called for Jesus to be crucified just 53 days before this event. Right? There are, are people in this crowd that were in that crowd. This is his invitation. Call on the name of the Lord. And I want to stop here and we'll do a second part uh, to this chapter next week. But for now, the big things to look at in this passage are that the Holy Spirit empowers the church. And Peter has announced that the last days are here and that the Spirit has begun his ministry on earth through the church. And he has poured out his spirit freely on all kinds of people, particularly anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. The invitation stands. Right? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And sometimes it's harder for me to imagine that as a believer in Jesus, I'm connected to this event, this wild event. 
right, that I'm connected to, that the same Holy Spirit from this day of Pentecost, that he lives in me today. And, and I'll be honest, when I read this passage, I just feel like I've been given this gift. God has poured out his spirit. He's baptized me in his spirit. But, but how aware am I day to day that the spirit of God lives in me? These are things that I'm asking myself. Because when I preach, I want the, the text to be preached to me as well. I'm challenged by how seldom I am trying to tune into what the Spirit is doing and what he's moving me to do and how to search for his desires and his wills in Scripture. I'm not saying that I never do that. I'm just saying, am I really taking full advantage of this gift God has given me? Right? Why not always? This passage puts me in a place of awe as I think about the power and grace that comes with this free gift of God himself. God, the Holy Spirit, is in me and with me always. That's amazing. I want to take some time to just, um, to just wrap the gospel around these things. Patrick, if you can turn this back on. Um, now, the gospel is the good news of Jesus, right? And it's, it's good. It's good. It's so good, right, that as you keep digging, you just find more and more goodness, Right, kind of like uh, if you've ever seen Mary Poppins, right? Her bag, right? How does she pull a lamp out of there, right? <laughs> right, the gospel is just that you keep teasing it out and there's just more and more there. Like I said, like what does it mean to be saved? Forgiveness of sins and receiving the Holy Spirit, yes. But then there's also like if we kept digging, like we just keep finding more and more amazing gifts that God has given in the gospel. Right, the gospel, if we just simply stated, is that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died in our place for the forgiveness of sins, that he was raised to life, and he offers eternal life and resurrection to anyone who believes in him. That's a very simple version of the gospel. But it's wonderful, and that's beautiful. But when we tease out all the implications of that, well, we could be here for a while, right? Uh, that's part of the reason why we talk about it every single Sunday. In this passage, we pull out of the gospel bag uh, that to trust Jesus as Lord, Messiah, and Savior is also to receive the very Spirit of God. Right, That in Jesus' physical absence on earth, the Spirit dwells with the church and in the church, right? With believers and in believers. John 14, 17 says, Jesus tells his disciples, he is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. Oh, Donna fell over over there. Um, as it doesn't see him or know him, right? But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. God's greatest gift, and I know we just had a distraction, but I want you to tune in. God's greatest gift has always been himself. And if all believers receive the Spirit of God, then it's clear that there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There are no second-class members in the church of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, 4 says there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. 
There's no Holy Spirit Junior, as I heard a man uh, named Casey Hodges say at a worship service one time. There's no Holy Spirit Junior, right? And he was talking about the inclusion of kids in the church, right? It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your Bible knowledge, how long you've been a believer. There aren't levels in the church of who has more of the Spirit than others. The Spirit has been poured out on you, on us. There are no Holy Spirit competitions, right? And this passage shows us that he is the driving force behind the mission of God, that he empowers us to share the gospel. And, and let's just dwell on this thought. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you today if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Paul says this in Romans 8, 11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Says it twice. If his spirit who lives in you, and then he says, lives in you. Two times. Wants us really to know that the spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit isn't just our helper today or the one who empowers the church for ministry on earth. That promise of eternal life for everyone who believes in Jesus, that promise of resurrection, it comes by the Holy Spirit. Right? I can't see into the depths of everyone's heart here. Uh, I know a lot of you, but maybe you've come even to the realization that that doesn't actually even describe you. Right? And if that's so, the invitation stands. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have not done that, you can call upon his name today.